again, everybody, and welcome to the Flatland Fiction Podcast. My name is Brian Wheeler, and I'm the guy who writes these stories of science fiction, fantasy, and of horror. This is episode number 15 of the Flatland Fiction Podcast, and this one will feature the first part of the horror story, Guarded Keepsakes. It's getting uh, closer to, towards Halloween. It's still not very cool here in uh, the central heartland in Illinois where I live, but I know autumn in October is around the corner, and I'd like to get some momentum going as Halloween approaches so we can get some spooky tales to get us in the mood. This is another story that features my family clan named the Turners. A little bit about the Turners. Um, as I was writing some horror stories, I kind of came up with the idea of having a consistent family that kind of passes through the generations. Kind of a cursed family, a family that just gets terrible luck and that is surrounded by kind of wicked and foul rumors of dabbling, kind of like dark occult arts that are kind of, uh, you know, powers of necromancy and of dealing with the dead, of raising the dead, of speaking with the dead. And so I've had a batch of stories kind of evolve out of this idea of this Turner family. So whenever you, you might be reading one of my stories or listening to one of my podcasts, whenever you hear the name of Turner, it's kind of my ambition to kind of equate that name with kind of like a lurking kind of seeping horror that's involved in these stories. So the guard keepsakes here deals with uh, once more the the Turner bone shakers and bone shakers are people it's kind of a term that that kind of falls in with people who are rumored to deal with the dead once more and so this is one of the stories that falls in what I call the uh, Turner tales of the Turner bone shakers. Um, it's going to be in two parts uh, it's a really fun one. I think this is going to kick off Halloween very well. And if you really enjoy this story, consider again going to my official website at www.flatlandfiction.com. At that website, you can find more stories dealing with the Turners. In fact, I think it was our second or third podcast, we did the story titled The Warden's Mark. And that is another story dealing with the Turner clan. So check it out if you enjoy this one. You can find the archives of all my previous podcasts, again, at my official website at www.flatlandfiction.com. If you find that you are enjoying this work and you get into the, these tales of the Turners, consider checking out my novels that are on my official website. There on my official website you'll find uh, summaries of those novels. They are titled Mr. Hancock's Signature, The Sisters Will Dance, Fallen Stardust, and The Light Floats Slowly. You'll find at my website summaries of those books along with sample chapters that you can download. If you like those sample chapters and they, they succeed in pulling you into the story, please consider following the links that I supply to retailers like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and consider purchasing one of those books for $3 for your favorite uh, digital book reader. Um, it's my goal to one day... Get all my books out into print, which is, I know, a format that people still really cherish and enjoy. But right now, I just cannot afford to do that. I don't have the avenues as of yet. So one of my aims with this podcast and my writing is to attract attention so I can eventually get through that hurdle. So if you enjoy this story, please visit my official website. Again, that's flatlandfiction.com. Also, please feel free to leave any kind of comments or feedback that you might have 
at any kind of the uh, SoundCloud or the Stitcher or the iMusic pages that you might find this podcast listed on. I love to hear from people. Even if it's constructive criticism, it recharges my batteries to know that people are out there listening to my stories. And I'll admit it, I'm very new to the whole podcasting business. I'm very new to reading uh, my work out loud and reading really any kind of books out loud. It's just not something I have a lot of experience with. I'm working to get better. I think I'm getting better. But I wouldn't appreciate constructive criticism. That's fine. I'd love to see it. Or if you really like something, you could support me beyond you could support me tremendously by just giving me a note saying, Hey man, I listen to podcasts, keep it up. Uh, you know, that stuff just really keeps me going. Finally, I do need to mention this at the start of each of my podcasts. If you really enjoy my work, whether that's through listening to the podcast or checking out one of my ebook novels or ebook short stories, please consider making a donation to my efforts through my official website once more at flatlandfiction.com. On that website, on the top of my pages, you'll find a little button where you can donate some money to my efforts. Now, the least amount that you can donate is $1.50. That's the lowest amount that I can fix the scale with, with that um, service that I am employing. But it's up there in case you, you feel motivated to offer kind of a voluntary payment for my efforts. What that is is completely up to you. It's my hope that you view that as a chance to just, you know, assign your own worth to what you find at my website. Maybe you listen to all 15 of the podcasts and you're so moved by those podcasts that you decide to donate $10. Maybe you read three stories and you decide to donate $3. Maybe you go through everything and you decide to donate $50. It's completely up to you. But once more, any kind of monetary donation helps me to pay the bills that I have with website hosting, helps me try new tools to creating this podcast, and it helps me just kind of keep at it. You know, it's, how, it's just how the world works. You know, you know, this is a skill I've tried to develop, I try to improve on, and like any kind of, dare I say, craftsman or artist, you know, I dream of the day where I can support myself through this talent. Writing these stories and imagining these stories is really what I feel most talented at. It's, it's the gift that I think I have, and so, you know, I would like to strive to a day where I can earn some, some finances through the work. Again, that's completely up to you. That's through my official website at flatlandfiction.com. Most of all, I thank you for checking out this podcast. I hope you enjoy this story, Guarded Keepsakes. This is a two-parter, and Halloween's coming close, so uh, we'll string together several of these darker, st- darker stories of kind of horror and, uh, and suspense. All right, so thanks again, and uh, let's get to it. Here it comes, Guarded Keepsakes. Guarded Keepsakes. Brian Wheeler. Jay Logan grimaced as he sipped from his morning thermos of coffee. After 27 years of waking before sunrise to shower and shave, before driving the half hour to the county highway department's corrugated shed, where he would check his tractor's filters and lube his Morris hydraulics before lumbering along the county roadways to cut short the overgrown grasses, brewing a palatable carafe of coffee remained a mystery to him. So Jay continued to grimace for his bruised bitterness. But unlike so many mornings when he had sipped and winced while taking his caffeine, his soul smiled on that day.
Jay had scrimped and saved. He had protected his optimism through fits of bad luck. And now he was about to realize a dream to transform a hobby into a livelihood. He couldn't wait for the sun to rise and shed light upon what the day would show him. Instead of lumbering his tractor over grasses that never ceased to grow, Jay Logan would soon travel to discover the antiques, collectibles, and treasures that would give him the gold his confidence promised he deserved. Jay braved another sip at his coffee as he heard his wife shuffling down the stairs into the kitchen. She was such a light sleeper, and he couldn't avoid waking her. Coffee? Kelly shuffled into the room. The shredded knee suffered on the basketball court, two decades lost, had never properly healed. Kelly believed herself too young for a knee replacement, and so she entered that cluttered kitchen wincing as she carefully guided her hampered gait through all the tools, the levels and the power drills, the hammers and the vices, the wooden shims and the tape measures that had strewn about the kitchen floor during the past two months since Jay had attempted to hang new cabinets. A mug of your brew would burn through my ulcers. Jay moved to plant a kiss on her forehead, but Kelly took a step backwards before he reached her. Since you're up this early, I take it you won the bid on the Turner estate. Jay nodded, hoping his restraint from Woods would discourage discussion. Kelly sighed. How much? Ninety grand. Jesus. Kelly shambled to the stove and ignited flame beneath her tea kettle. I can't ask how you got that kind of money from young and nervous Mr. Phillips at the bank. We've already sunk so much into this old country home, and now you dig us ninety grand deeper. Ninety grand would cover Anderson's college tuition. That bill's only a couple years away. Is Anderson awake? I was hoping he might change his mind. His snoring is still shaking the walls. Kelly's tired eyes winced in the kitchen's lighting. Jay swirled his thermos. I was hoping he would come with me and Gus. Thought the pick might create a memory for the two of us. He's young, Jay. Kelly scavenged through the cabinets resting on the floor for her missing tea packets. He's too young to share your passion for old things. He sees only the dust in the years. His treasures wait for him in the future. Spare him the grime of sifting through piles of discarded forgotten things. He'll think otherwise when he learns how valuable some of those antiques can be, Jay countered. He might find a piece that he could sell to help with his car insurance. There's no telling what's out there, Kelly. We might be real surprised with the future we find at the Turner Estate. With a little work, we'll get our 90 grand and more out of that old house. We haven't finished the work on this old house, Jay. It's going to be a windfall when you consider all the pieces out there just waiting for a little polish and display. Who's going to buy all that junk? Kelly glared at her husband, daring him to engage her. No one's going to touch anything from that estate in the entire downstate. We can't let superstition trump a good investment. I disagree. Kelly searched for a mug. Who's going to want to buy a relic from the Turner family? People from miles around tremble whenever a Turner came into town. It's been 40 years since anyone but that poor Jackie has been seen at the grocery store, and now she's dead, Kelly. That doesn't make me feel any better, Kelly returned. Jackie's brothers and uncles were so mean and vile that no one would have anything to do with Jackie. Poor woman had a hard time even finding a church that didn't shut its doors on her. That's how much this community hated or feared her Turner family. Everyone remembers how the Turners guarded their property with savage dogs and loaded guns, 
Everyone remembers how the Turners slurred their curses whenever anyone asked them a question. Everyone remembers how those Turners hated anyone who competed with them at auctions or salvage yards. No one wanted to touch the Turners junk then, Jay, and no one's going to want to touch that junk now. Ghosts can't be collectors, Kelly. Kelly closed her eyes while she waited for her tea to steep. I hope you're right, Jay. I really do. Because it feels to me like you're about to pick from a family tomb. A swath of light passed along the kitchen's curtains. That's Gus rolling up the drive. Jay topped his thermos and peeked through the window to see Gus's familiar white van pull up his country home's drive with an empty red horse trailer in tow. Kelly nodded. Don't let Gus talk you into paying for any more of his van's repair. That man owes you plenty, Jay Logan. Stop forgetting it. I need his good green eye, Jay answered. I'll be hard-pressed to find anyone else with Gus's knowledge of collectibles. And I need that van and trailer of his in good working condition if I hope to move whatever antiques wait at the Turner place and start making money. He takes advantage of you, Kelly frowned. I wish I had your optimism, Jay. I really do. Because you've committed the both of us now. Try to bring something back to me that can show me the light. Jay reminded himself to stay optimistic as he left through the kitchen's back door. The Turner home would hold all those antiques he imagined. The engine to Gus's white van would run long enough to deliver those antiques to new owners. The 90 grand investment would see the tremendous return his family needed. Worthy Enterprise demanded an optimistic start. Jay Logan vowed to search every corner of the Turner estate and promised to let no relic go undiscovered. The Turners were now all ghosts. The dead had no need to keep antiques. I sure hope your road doesn't break my trailer. Jay peered out of the passenger window, determined to pay his driver as little attention as possible until Gus's mood improved. The van bounced and jostled over the road's potholes. Glimpsing into the rearview mirror, Jay held his breath to see how close Gus came to driving the trailer into the ditch. Leave it to Gus, Jay thought, to feel such indignation upon having his choice of pathways to the Turner home overruled by the direction Jay planned to take to save mileage and time. Only Gus would feel so slighted at such a silly thing to drive so aggressively over a rough and narrow country road to express his hatred to accept any suggestion that failed to originate in his mind. Gus could take no advice, and so Gus pushed that narrow gas pedal a bit closer to the floor while Jay bounced and held his breath as the van rumbled towards the estate. I thought I helped you pay to get the trailer checked out before we started, Gus. Gus grunted. You did, but maybe next time you'll listen to me when I say I want to go the other way. Easier on the trailer and the van that way. I might be old, but I'm no, no fool. Jay wondered why he kept partnering with Gus in their country excursions to pick antiques from leaning barns and bug-infested homes. It was difficult to find a man with Gus's knowledge of antique furniture, trench art, and oil advertising. But that partnership had cost Jay plenty, who had loaned Gus several thousands of dollars so that they could afford another couple tanks of gas to make it home, so that Gus's home could enjoy electricity for a month longer, or so that Gus could purchase another piece of vintage furniture, so that Gus could take another step closer to realizing the payday the one-eyed driver always swore waited for him only a couple more days down the road. 
Though Gus claimed he never failed to pay his debts, Jay was yet to see a single dollar loaned to Gus return to him during their three years sifting through antiques. The estate will be just on the other side of this hill. I know, Gus mumbled. I've been down this road plenty of times myself. Jay took a breath. He desired a better start to his day than arguing with the growling dog of a driver. He imagined what might be waiting for them beyond the steep hill the van and trailer labored to climb. He dreamed of hidden tractors and gas engines, of rare metal advertising signs and gas pumps, of pedal cars and collectible lunchboxes. Jay had mowed grass along that country road for 27 years, and he had dreamed of what the Turners hid in their brick home and behind the walls of all their barns and outbuildings each time his tractor passed that family's acres. Sure hope my trailer doesn't get stuck trying to turn up into the drive, Gus grumbled as his van rumbled and crested the hill. The Turner estate stretched out along the left side of the road. Post-frame sheds, corrugated Quonset huts, Crooked bonds and piecemeal sheds circled a three-story home of umber brick. Chicken coops and dog houses sprouted randomly throughout the acreage. Rust orange field implements and machinery parts, mattress coils, piled rubber tires, and discarded cans crowded each space between the Turner buildings. Jay would not have faulted any eye less familiar with country collectibles for thinking the Turner estate some kind of shantytown filled with temporary structures hastily erected by the destitute and forlorn for shelter against the elements. But Jay suspected so much more. To him, each building implied an inner space brimming with old valuables. To him, each pile held an antique waiting to be uncovered at the core. The home's roof doesn't look in very good shape. Gus squinted through the windshield. Looks like we might be dealing with water damage. Nothing destroys antiques like water damage. Gus wrenched the van and trailer onto a worn lane defined by crushed grass and mud, and the three-story Turner farmhouse centered into their view. Jay counted windows out of his antique picker's habit, salivating at the thought of what so many rooms with so many windows might hold. He noticed the ornamental weathercock standing upon the tiled roof alongside collectible lightning rods. Jay saw the decorative wrought iron railing that hemmed the front porch. The latticework hidden behind the overgrown shrubbery could not hide from Jay's sight. Those were the touches that implied that the Turners once appreciated a little style, and a picker regarded such flair as a promising omen. That must be the attorney. Gus glared at a man dressed in khaki trousers and a dark sports coat, who waved at the van from the front porch. Best watch what you say, Jay. You can bet he's got some kind of agenda if he's a lawyer. Smile, Gus. That man still holds the keys to the estate. Jay escaped the van before Gus offered further cynicism, grateful for another soul whose spirits had to be an improvement from those of his one-eyed companion. Mr. Logan, the man grinned. I'm Ant's Monk, executor for Jackie Turner's estate. I sure thank you for your bid. I'm not so sure it isn't me who should be thanking you. Jay returned. Feels like I got a lot of property for 90 grand. Ants nodded. Indeed you did. The house could be a mansion with a little resource and renovation, and you're going to be very pleased with all you find inside. I sure thank you all the same. Jackie would be happy to hand the keys over to you herself if she was still with us. Gus mounted the porch steps. 
wouldn't think the last of the Turners would be so willing to hand over the old homestead. She was, Ants replied. I was lucky to have the opportunity to know her through the working of her will. Sweet woman, that Jackie. Nothing like the rumors you hear about her family. Like all the Turners, she kept her own business. Jackie told me she felt walled up within her own home, surrounded by so much junk that she couldn't tend to her property. It was her father and uncles who gathered most of what you'll find scattered about. They were obsessed with collecting, and they just kept piling it up as if they couldn't run out of room. Jackie once told me that she thought they were trying to bury themselves beneath all that stuff. She told me she had sworn to her father that she wouldn't sell or discard any of it for as long as she lived. She made it real clear that she wanted it all sold off and dragged away after her passing. She didn't want to think about any of it remaining. That was the second of her two wishes for her estate. And what was her first wish? Gus asked. Her first wish was to be cremated, Ants answered. Like her father and her uncles before her, told me she didn't want any of her remains lingering in the ground. She trembled at the thought. Living alone for so long can do lots of things to a person's psyche, and I think Jackie's nearly shattered to think about getting buried in the ground. Jay nodded. A fear that I share. Thank goodness you don't share in the fears of the rest of the county, Ants answered. I knew the Turner estate was going to be hard to sell, so I was very happy when you offered that bid. Ants retrieved a heavy, jangling ring of keys from his pocket and turned his attention to the brick home's front door. Jay imagined heavy tumblers falling to release the latch as Ants Monk twisted the key in the door, and though Jay expected to hear a hiss of air or see a swirl of dust, when the doorway opened, only shadow and silence responded as the attorney twisted and pushed the doorknob. I'll hand these over to you now, Mr. Logan. Ants nodded as he set the key ring in Jay's hand and stood back from the doorway. Duties wait for me in town, so I leave you to your property. Gus didn't hesitate to step through the dark threshold. Jay felt himself pause. He smelled something carrion, something musky, something sour, and the draft that floated from the home. The air around him thickened. His feet turned heavy. Stay positive, Jay whispered to himself. Don't let your imagination run into the shadows. Jay reminded himself that families daily disappeared from the earth. The world continued to fill with ghosts, and Jay could do nothing to stop the inevitability of ruin and decay. But he could ensure that the past did not become forgotten. He could sift through the piles of detritus time left behind to find those relics to hold up and proclaim were still filled with meaning. Antiques that still deserved a place on the mantle. Jay Logan could do nothing to soften whatever sorrow and loneliness Jackie Turner may have known when uncounted among the living, but he could search through her ancestors' rooms and bring that which still had value back into the light. Ninety grand was a steal. Gus whistled as Jay stepped into the Turner home. You'll get five times your money out of this place. I know you're not going to mind if I take a few of these pieces home for myself. Jay refrained from answering and directed his attention to the items crowding the home's foyer. Ten wind-up rockets and motorcycles piled along the walls. Dusty boxes of old games rested on a game table. An unfolded board displaying a contest neither Jay nor Gus recognized. Red-coated toy soldiers and chess pieces gathered in formations within a display case in a corner. 
Marbles of coral greens, aqua blues, and fire oranges filled several glass jars. Boy Scout magazines and books with spacemen covers lay upon the floor. The Turner home stood in ruin of its age, and all of the dust blanketing the toys in the green foyer accentuated that decay. Those splotches looked fresh. Gus bent over his secretary hutch, its desk open to reveal a spiral notebook. Aged fountain pens surrounded the paper, and black ink from an overturned bottle spilled across the desk and stained one of the notebook's corners. Jay extended a finger into the glistening ink and pulled back a darkened digit. The ink's still wet. Maybe their attorney was noting something, Gus offered. See if the notebook tells us anything. Jay scanned the open page. The black scrawl was written tightly. Strange letters and runes Jay failed to decipher looped and slanted into one another. Thinking such strange writing, perhaps the marks left behind by a hand scribbling to find a consistent flow of ink through an old, unfamiliar pen, Jay turned through the pages. The strange script filled the entire notebook. Jay saw there had been a long, concentrated effort to fill the notebook, an effort he could not avoid thinking that was wasted with such incomprehensible markings. Maybe you can make it out. Jay held the script up to Gus's good green eye. Gus grunted. I'll do no better than you. I didn't come out here to read. Just doesn't make much sense. Gus shrugged. A kid probably left that notebook behind after sneaking around this place. Gus's curiosity drifted away from the notebooks, filled with undecipherable scrawl towards the antiques waiting deeper within the home. Jay tossed the notebook back upon the secretary desk and followed Gus through an archway into an adjoining parlor. Thick curtains hung above the windows and set the chamber into shadow. A draft whispered through yet unvisited halls, and the wide crystal chandelier suspended from the tall ceiling chime. A player's piano stood against the far wall, with canisters placed atop the keyboard that Jay suspected were filled with paper rolls of old melodies. The horns of several gramophones arched towards a crimson Victorian fainting couch. Records were strewn about the floor's thick carpet and surrounded the room's couch. Jay followed Gus towards a gramophone, careful not to step upon any of the sheets of music and songbooks that littered the floor. These records might be worth something. This is the first I've seen of these up close. Gus gathered a short stack of discs from the ground. These are glass records, Jay. Glass was the first records we made of. Might be worth a treasure depending on what we find on them. Try to play one. You know how to set up the gramophone? Sure, Gus winked. And no gramophone like one of these was my first sound system. I didn't think you were that old, Gus. My family couldn't afford to buy anything else. Jay nodded. I think I understand your passion for all these antiques a little better now. Must feel nice to see the outcast and the old gain value through time. Gus's good green eye swiveled upon Jay while the glass orb set in his right socket didn't move creating that peering, appraising look that still unsettled Jay. Gus grunted after a moment and began winding a gramophone. Several turns later, with the gramophone's hidden, inner gears making no noise of disrepair, Gus placed a glass record onto the player. With a flip of a mechanism, the record spun, and Gus swiveled the arm over a groove and lowered the needle without a scratch. Snaps and cracks floated out of the gramophone's horn. I wouldn't expect anything but very low fidelity, Gus chuckled. 
That needle looked awful dull and old. Notes slowly fell from the horn, weaving together in a melancholy melody that sounded too heavy to float about the chamber. Music that instead rolled across the floor like heavy, gray smoke. Sounds like a funeral march, Jay spoke. Gus nodded. Not anyone that I recognize. Listen to the music exhausted Jay. He shook his head to chase away a drowsiness that pulled at his eyelids. He moved towards a gramophone to stop the song when a discordant shrill shrieked from the horn, sending Jay into shivers, turning the fine hairs of his forearms into quills. Mad, savage instruments of percussion and string roared from the horn. The rhythm of the march vanished into a swirling scrum of discord and sound, growing louder the longer the record spun. Suddenly, a chorus of angry voices shouted from the spinning glass. Angstemist acting in Norcon's length Jay's heart quickened. He strained to recognize the words screamed by the voices, but he could recognize nothing in the garble. Could he understand no meaning in the recording of tongues that roared such mumbles through the spiraling groove carved into the glass? Angstemist acting in Norcon's length the needle scraped to the end of the record, and silence returned to the parlor. I don't think a dull needle has much to do with that awful noise. Gus shook his head. I don't think that record's going to be worth very much. Those words don't sound like any language I've ever heard, Jay responded. Let's just move on and leave the others on the floor. We're not going to have time to organize anything on our first day, Gus answered. We've only seen the first two rooms. We still have a lot of house and we'd be lucky to peek in half the buildings waiting outside. We'd cover more ground if we separated. Jay hesitated, unsure how far he could trust Gus. Would Gus keep any pearls and jewels he might discover and the secret of his pockets? Or would the one-eyed companion disclose whatever valuables he found in old sock drawers? Knowing he lacked the leverage needed to argue with Gus, Jay sighed. He needed Gus's help. He needed Gus's trailer. He needed his friend's expertise in the eye. All right, Jay responded. You take the house and I'll get to the outbuildings. Just remember where you find things for now. Gus's good green eye squinted at Jay. Oh, I won't move anything without you, partner. Gus's lips twitched. Just don't get lost in all the junk in the backyard. My hearing's not much better than my vision. So don't take it for granted that I'd hear you shouting for help should you get lost. The locket waited for Gus in the small corner room on the second story. Packed beneath old quilts, the locket waited for hands to regard it, for eyes to consider its glimmer. It waited to be admired. Gus Holcomb had hustled for every dollar his hands had ever grasped. Over a quarter of a century ago, when he had been younger, harder, and meaner, Gus was one of the sharp men the crime bosses appointed to rule their streets. He had trafficked narcotics across southern and northern borders. He had opened donut shops through which he and his associates laundered their wealth. He had pimped women, had knifed snitches, and pummeled strangers. Treasure came easily to him in those years. Gus wore the most expensive suits, owned the most luxurious of cars, and he bedded beautiful women during the afternoon. He had worshipped the value of every commodity, but he never recognized much worth in simple life itself. The wealth Gus loved most abandoned him. A whisper in the night, 
a rumor planted by a rival, one day transformed Gus Holcomb from a trusted player into a marked man. So Gus fled into the center of the country. He shrouded himself with cornfields and timid people, and he hid himself well, so well that Gus Holcomb lived to be an old man. He knew no ability towards which to turn when arthritis swelled and stiffened his hands, those hands that once made him a boxing champion. He had no health insurance to cover the hospital bills after a splinter flew from the lathe and destroyed Gus's unprotected right eye. He had no savings to cushion his fall. He lost all of his credit. He was placed upon the brink of losing his home. The hustle was Gus's last skill. And thus he had very few friends. For in time, Gus couldn't deny the temptation to scheme and to separate even those who would befriend Gus from whatever dollars those people may have scraped into their pockets. Gus envied people like Jay Logan, people who so easily and quietly passed through the years. Gus knew that Jay was a kind man, a man with a good, caring heart. But Gus's experience had taught him that kind and good men never amassed wealth, never built empires. He could not escape his ways, and Gus could only gauge his friendship with Jay as one based upon the dollar. Could he persuade Jay's trusting nature to pay the bill to get his van's transmission overhauled? Would Jay fill his van with gas so that he could consider a vehicle listed for sale? Would Jay help cover a utility bill before the lights were turned off? Gus never regarded himself uncaring. He was but a man of capital commerce, and true to his ideology, all relations boil down to matters of the dollar. Jay's got no idea what he's tripped into. Gus shook his head as he strolled down the second story's hall, admiring the gilded picture frames on the walls, the center tables and armchairs aside the doors. He's probably terrified of losing that meager 90 grand. If only I had a pile of money, if only I had Jay's credit, I would turn that kind of money over and over and over again. Gus's mind kept a tally of the valley he passed as he progressed through their home. He found two cast iron stoves in the kitchen, each worth at least a grand to the right collector. Drawers brimmed with costly silver. Oriental carpets covered the steps climbing throughout the home. Japanese fans and military sabers decorated the walls. Grandfather clocks still ticked and chimed in the corners. Gus marveled at the fine mahogany boxes with secret latches and hidden compartments. Vintage radials and parts crowded a room on the second story. Gus twisted a dial on a large radio and smiled as golden light backlit the frequency numbers. Electricity hummed through the wooden cabinet. Hidden vacuum tubes whined and popped as Gus explored the airwaves. Perhaps he would tune in Oregon or Maine. Perhaps he would hear strange tongues of other lands bouncing through the atmosphere. A working antique radio could remain a powerful receiver, an item many collectors cherished. Gus twisted the dials through static as he searched for a station to fill the radio with worth. The speaker popped and a harsh voice grunted words Gus couldn't understand. Angstemist Athene Enor Konslit Omph! Gus slapped the side of the radio. He twisted the dial, but the voice refused to abandon the machine. Angstemist Athene Enor Konslit Omph! What the hell? Angstemist Athene Enor Konslit Omph! 
Gus pulled at the grouting radio to reveal its back. He pulled at the power cord and heard it pop out of the wall. Though no longer plugged into any source of power, the radio continued to mumble for several more seconds before the light finally ebbed dark from behind the dial, before the harsh words turned silent. Those radios must store a little power, Gus told himself. Likely not many stations left broadcasting through the airwaves. Old speakers and tombs must have garbled all their words. Gus continued down the second-story hall and entered the small corner room where the locket waited for him beneath old quilts. The pink wallpaper and thick white carpeting appeared fairly new compared to the rest of the home. Dust hadn't settled upon a large, oval-dressed mirror. Gus leaned into the mirror to again consider how the years had scraped and carved at his face when his good, green eye perceived a glimmer in the mirror's reflection. A dresser drawer was slightly ajar, and a slight tug on the quilts within further revealed the links of a golden chain. Gus lifted the necklace and found a round and golden locket on the other end. A pure white pearl rested in the locket's center, a bauble that, had not been set within such gold, would have alone drawn a jeweler's admiration. Four glittering red rubies surrounded that pearl at the compass points, small planets of treasure which orbited their pearl sun. What a piece, Gus whispered. And Jay gets all of it for only ninety grand because the rest of the county is afraid of a dead family named Turner. He's got to let me claim a few of these pieces for myself. He owes me at least that. Gus turned the locket, and fine filigree twisted floral patterns on the reverse side. It was careful and custom work, the kind of craftsmanship that would move an appraiser to put down his book of values and take a breath before underestimating the locket's worth. The Turners must have arrived here with all kinds of wealth to afford work like this. Gus grinned as he held the locket in the sunbeams that pierced through the curtains. Folks in these parts likely never knew all the riches those Turners unpacked into this home. Wonder what the Turners did so long ago to gather such treasure. Gus's arthritic fingers trembled as they felt for the locket's clasp. Once found, the clasp opened easily. Jay's the luckiest man alive. The locket's front face slid open to reveal a sparkling diamond embedded upon its interior. Gus stared at the stone and grinned. All I need to do is remove that stone from the locket. The focus of Gus's good green eye shifted to consider the locket's other side. Though they must have been loaded, the face in this locket, hence those turners, must surely have been ugly. The female face, captured in the sepia-toned photograph, hadn't been blessed by attractive features. Though Gus knew that limitations of early photography might have been to blame, Though he thought the exposure may have been too bright, he couldn't avoid thinking the woman's skin seemed exceedingly pale. Such a complexion made the eyes look beady and small, like the eyes of a burrowing creature, eyes fashioned to pierce into the dark, eyes that must have pained when exposed to the sun. The woman's hair grew in sporadic patches above her hairline. Growths and knots of swelling skin twisted the woman's face and pulled her attempted smile into a frown. Poor woman, Gus sighed, but I hope you can understand why a face like yours can't remain in a locket like this. Gus pried at the photograph with his fingernail, but the glass beneath which the photograph lay would not budge at his prodding. 
He would need a jeweler's fine tools and assistance if he hoped to remove that woman's image without harming the locket. He had time. He would remain patient. Gus snapped the locket closed and placed his fine into his pocket, careful to make sure that no golden link dangled into the light. He had found the piece to make his trip worthwhile. Perhaps selling that locket would give him the dollars he needed to purchase a new van, to fix his home's aging and leaking roof, to buy another piece of antique furniture. Too many outbuildings and rooms, brimming with relics, waited for Jay. Jay would never guess that Gus kept something back. The Turners were dead, and so no one would miss a golden locket. Nonetheless, that anonymity that Gus enjoyed since he had retreated from his old empire of the street, that invisibility that had cloaked him into his old age, vanished the moment he put that golden locket into his pocket. Gus Holcomb once more became a marked man. I think that will make a good place to stop in our first part of the story guard keepsakes here on the Flatland Fiction Podcast. You may have heard in the background a couple of times my toddler, Kate, shouting for joy in the background as she was dancing in the other room. And you may have heard the clatter of my dogs as they kind of positioned themselves around my desk as I was putting this podcast together. Uh, my dogs are really, I think, sometimes my greatest fans as I do this. So if you hear them in the background... I hope you can forgive their clatter and that their uh, disruptions uh, do not pull your imagination out of the world of these stories. Once more, here at the conclusion, I would ask that you take the time to visit my official website at flatlandfiction.com and you will find uh, many of my other stories posted online. I like to post my shorter stories up on my website in a uh, PDF uh, digital format so you can read those on your computer, and those are free of charge. And so if you're looking for an introduction into some other, some other tales of my work, uh, please visit my website. Once again, I would be thrilled to hear from people at my email at letters at flatlandfiction.com. So if you have any comments or insights or would you like to share any thoughts with the stories, I would invite you to send me a, a quick little email that way. And um, I'll get back to work here on part two of Guarded Keepsakes, and I'll try to have that posted within a week. And in the meantime, thank you very much for visiting my podcast, and uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thank you.
Thank you.